Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. How you guys doing? Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to the Nick Wilson Show. Sounds like a typical bastard. What's going on in Nick Wilson's mind? My mind is a raging torrent flooded with rivulets of thought. You're about to find out. Look who knows so much. Nick Wilson is on now. Radio 92.7 FNZ. It is the Nick Wilson Show. Uh, first two hours of the show in the bag. Don't forget to, to anything you miss, WFNZ.com for the full hours, bits, interviews, and whatnot. Still have no idea. I just hope our boy Ellis Williams is okay. All right. Last time we had talked, uh, his G's were up. Itty Bitty's G's were up. I don't know if that led to him, uh, you know, going down some rabbit hole, but hope he's doing all right. By the way, Dan Favalli, uh, Bleacher Report, uh, NBA writer, coming up in 20 minutes. We'll talk about the insanity in the NBA from... I mean, really, Friday night. Actually, no, mid-last week when Kevin Durant uh, requested a trade out of Brooklyn to the Gobert trade. Uh, NC State product TJ Warren assigned a one-year deal in Brooklyn, by the way, so that's interesting. But we got Dan coming up in 20 minutes. We've got five questions coming up in 40 minutes. But with all that going on, if I could change one thing about college football alignment in realignment i would just make it happen a little bit quicker like when texas and ou hit there was like a week afterwards where we're kind of just all waiting for the next foot to drop or shoe to drop and then like four months later byu cincinnati ucf and i can't remember the fourth team they all added added to the freight of the big 12 right now i think the most interesting thing is uh, the latest reports this weekend are that four teams out of the Pac-12, including Colorado and Utah, have already talked to the Big 12 about joining the Big 12 uh, and, and kind of prolonging their their football future, which I thought was brilliant. That, to me, the 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 people who will end up winning in this in the massive, like we're talking about the granular 30,000-foot view college football realignment, the teams that are the most forward thinking and aggressive are the teams that are going to succeed and thrive and survive quite frankly unless you are notre dame florida state north carolina oregon ucla usc miami texas ou unless you're a true power broker in the sport of college football or have the ability to be a true power broker those programs can all sit back and wait Everyone else has to go charging into trying to figure out what the hell to do. If I'm NC State right now, I don't wait to see what North Carolina and Duke do. If I'm NC State right now, I try and find I, I try and find the best deal I can, whether it's to join the Big 12, the SEC, or the Big Ten. I don't know if the if the NC State would really hold that kind of power with the Big Ten. Because it doesn't have the brand that North Carolina does, but I try and I try and leapfrog them. Wake Forest. And Wake Forest, as a tried and true Wake Forest fan, is probably the program I'm most worried about. NC State has some resources. 
Um, North Carolina is a ridiculous brand. Duke is going to have some significant value in realignment. We'll figure out what they do football-wise, but they have some they have some significant value because of the basketball program. Clemson, Florida State, all, even Georgia Tech to some degree. All these programs have something that I think really could add to whatever conference they join. Wake Forest scares the crap out of me. I've, I, I think I think they've kind of been the Tampa Bay Rays of the ACC. Like they've been a program, although maybe the Rays have had more success, but they've been a program over the last couple of years that have just figured out a formula in football that worked for them and worked for Dave Clawson. I don't know it's going to work in one. I don't know Wake Forest is going to have a lot of immense value to either the SEC or the Big Ten. And then two, even if they go there, I I mean, you were the this year two or this last year notwithstanding, you've been at best anywhere from the fourth to twelfth best team in the ACC football wise. The, the best year you've had in 15 to 20 years was the year where the rest of the ACC sucked. I worry about Wake Forest. I want Wake Forest to, to, to succeed long term. I don't think they could survive with the kind of money that they spend in the Big Ten or the SEC. Maybe your best hope is you, you are part of that whatever we're going to call the Big 12 once they you know reel in the latest round of teams. But I'll ask you guys, are you comfortable right now with Notre Dame controlling the future of the ACC and really the future of college athletics? Because that was the, the report that we had as we were going off the air on Friday was that the Big Ten is standing pat. They have interest in adding Oregon and Washington, but they're waiting to see what, what Notre Dame does. And Bobby Carpenter, who was on our show late last week, had said that he could see Notre Dame and Oregon to the Big Ten at some point in the near future. If Notre Dame joins the Big Ten or the SEC in the next year, it will be the death knell to, to the or the death knell to the SEC or to the ACC, excuse me. You will see, I would not be surprised if day on the first day that Notre Dame announces that it's going to whatever conference it chooses, if it's not the ACC, you're going to see a lot of other teams move very quickly. It'll probably be the teams that already are very aggressive and intelligent and have great brands like North Carolina, like Clemson, like Florida State, like Miami. But that will be the day. That It's either Notre Dame or if one of those programs I just mentioned jump ship early. If they read the tea leaves and say, Notre Dame's going to choose one of the other conferences, we don't want to do this, we're going to get out ahead of this, which I could see, and I actually think it's going to be North Carolina. I think there's a reason why Notre Dame or North Carolina's name has been floated so often as a candidate to be seduced by the big money, the Big Ten, or the SEC. I think I think Bubba in North Carolina, Bubba Cunningham in North Carolina are going to be really aggressive in finding their future home. But I want to throw this out here. NC State, North Carolina, Duke. Wake Forest, Clemson, Florida State. How do you see if this if Notre Dame does decide to join the Big Ten? And I still don't trust that idea, by the way. But if they do decide to join the Big Ten, where do you see or what do you think is going to happen with the other programs in the ACC here in the in the region? 
Because I don't know if it's going to be as simple as the Big Ten just takes on eight other teams that used to be the ACC. I don't think, really, I think I think you're going to see two or three programs go to the Big Ten. You're going to see two or three programs go to the SEC. And I think everybody else, their best bet is to lock on to the Big 12. That's probably Wake Forest. That's probably Georgia Tech. That's probably... I, that's probably Duke football and Duke basketball. Again, this is all under the idea that Notre Dame joined something that isn't the ACC. But I'll tell you that if if the Big Ten does add Notre Dame and Oregon, that's about as powerful brand as you can get. And I thought it was interesting. Chris Vanini had a very bleak outlook over the weekend of Sports Illustrated. Uh, he had a pretty bleak outlook on the, the future of college football, and I thought he had a point that was we talked about late last week, and it's not something I've heard people say enough about. This is, I think we're going to see a, a period of time in the near future where the Big, Twel- or the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the SEC all expand rapidly. And then at some point, whether that's 10 years down the road, whether that's 30 years down the road, it would not be it would not surprise me to see the those conferences start to kick out the weak links. Like if you don't have financial if Rutgers does not have financial value commensurate with the other brands, it wouldn't surprise me if if Rutgers got booed out of the Big 10. Go Vanderbilt in the SEC. <laughs> I don't think it would trouble anybody right now if Vanderbilt was kicked out of the SEC today. It's probably not going to happen for a while. Chris Vanini kind of wrote in length about how now is the time of expansion. At some point in the future, there's a really good chance that contraction will happen from these these powerful conferences. I'll say this. what What makes the future of college athletics and college football and college basketball so interesting to me is, I, I think for the first time, in college history. You can't judge what the next 10 years or 15 or 20 years are going to look like because of the last 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. I think I think the people who are in power now and will be in the power in the next 10 to 15, 20 years, I think they have more say on how many college programs survive on the landscape of college athletics and it really comes down to how ruthless these conferences become. I tend to think when you've got hundreds of millions of dollars uh, and in the palm of your hand, I tend to think that they're going to get pretty damn ruthless. I tend to think that when you have the kind of, let's just call it what it is, it's FU money. That's the kind of money that college programs are staring down now. And what is going to be fueling it the the decision making isn't the money it's the fear of what happens if somebody else gets the money right like i don't think uh dan radakovich in Clem- uh, in miami thinks he needs to have every single dollar for miami going forward but i think he knows better him having it than florida state having it better him having it by joining the Big 12 or the SEC or the Big 10, better him having it than NC State having it. That kind, the fear, the fear of unknown, 
is what's going to really drive college athletics to a point of maybe disaster. I don't I don't really know. I'm not a fatalist that this is going to be, oh, college athletics is never going to be the same again. I'm not fatalistic like that. But leadership in this country in general, and it is highlighted in sports and everything we talk about, there's just not enough leadership to go around on any level of industry in 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 the world. And people more often than not are and people, leaders in this country, more often than not, are limited by their own scope and their ability to see and their ability to 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 their own lack of creativity. And when you don't have creativity, when you know when you don't have the cojones, you're run by fear. That's where people who are fatalist might end up being right on the future of college athletics. Some uh, some people coming in here, 704 number saying UNC, Virginia, and Georgia Tech to the Big Ten. And then uh, NC State, Virginia Tech. I'm trying to think what that bottom one is. Oh, Clemson to the SEC. Clemson and Florida State should move together. Right? That's all I really want. Clemson and Florida State should move together. Miami's going to kind of be independent. It wouldn't shock me if Clemson and Florida State went to the SEC and then you saw Miami go to the Big Ten. Because then Miami would have some of the rivalries they've already had previously. Namely, Miami versus Notre Dame would be a rivalry that would be very interesting in the Big Ten. Although Miami versus Florida for the Battle of Florida in the SEC or Miami versus Florida versus Florida State in the SEC would be very interesting as well. So... That's the latest on the ACC, the latest on college football expansion. We Let's set aside Clemson, Florida State, and Miami, who, and maybe North Carolina, who can, or the first three. Let's set those programs aside. Where do you see the remainder of the ACC landing in conference realignment in college athletics? Dan Favali breaks down the Rudy Gobert trade and the latest on Kevin Durant's future on Sports Radio 92.7 FNC. Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ. Five questions coming up in just about 20 minutes here. My five burning questions that I have on July 5th. Uh, I would like to point out I'm ready for Baker Mayfield just to be traded anywhere. Because every day at any given point, he's just trending on Twitter. And I'm just exhausted. All right. This, this, this is shades of his Betty White dead for 10 years. Or, that's where we are now. Every time Betty White uh, trended for a decade. Oh, is she safe? And then it was like, oh, no, I just really like Betty White. That's where we are with Baker Mayfield right now. He's trending for literally no friggin' reason. But that's pretty much the only thing that can stop the NBA offseason and just the what-in-the-hell moments that we've gotten in the last uh, seven days. Kevin Durant wants a trade out of Brooklyn. Rudy Gobert was traded for every draft pick uh, from Minnesota now through the end of the century. That happened on Friday after we went off the air, and that's just a taste of it. To go ahead and get uh, a taste of the taste, we welcome on Bleacher Report NBA writer, Hardwood Knox podcast host, Dan Favalli. Dan, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Uh, I mean, it's July, and the NBA offseason is in full tilt, buddy. I'll ask you, because you, you might be a little biased, but that's okay. I'm a little biased as well. Is the NBA offseason supreme amongst all sports offseasons? 
Um, you know, I don't want to get too caught up in it just because I do cover the NBA, so I think it is kind of like probably one of the better ones when you look at player movement or things coming out of left field. But I do think we've seen some NFL storylines when you're looking at player transactions tilt towards this direction. And I do know, look, sometimes the MLB offseason can get pretty wild. But I do think when you look at social media and sports talk shows specifically, the anticipation of the NBA offseason post-draft, because there's nothing like the NFL draft, of course, um, there does seem to be a larger buildup and interest in it um, than most other off-seasons, if that makes any sense. Well, it helps that they have moves like uh, Rudy Gobert. I'll, I'll, I guess we'll start here. Do you like the Rudy Gobert trade for either team? I love it for Utah because that core was getting stale, and you already kind of moved Royce O'Neal, who was your only plus perimeter defender last year, except for Daniel House, who you also lost to Philadelphia 76ers. And the idea of starting anew, whether it's with Donovan Mitchell or not, and you've now loaded your coffers up with these shorter-term contracts that could be moved. Um, you do have uh, an interesting prospect in Walker Kessler, and then you also just have those, you know, you really have control over five first-round picks from Minnesota when you include this year. So have three unprotected picks, an unprotected swap, and then that 2029 top five protected first. I think that gives you a great baseline to rebuild off of whether or not you move Donovan Mitchell. I like it a lot less for the Wolves. It's just allocating a lot of money to a front court fit that isn't perfect on offense. I think it's going to be great on defense. I'm just curious how it holds up in the playoffs. And so there's a level of to be determined there. But when you look at the Wolves and how far away they were from entering that title contender quick, um, I'm not against the idea of pairing Cat with another big, but to pay this much to do it when you don't necessarily know how it's going to pan out, that felt excessive to me. If both players are on the market at the same time, who gets traded for more, Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant? That's a great question. I'm going to lean Donovan Mitchell just because I think we'll look back. We tend to over-romanticize draft picks as well. And if Rudy Gobert, with his contract and him being older, got Utah that many picks, I mean, like you can make a case it's really six picks between getting um, um, Kessler and also just the, the swaps and the, the picks in general. I think Mitchell just being younger will naturally appeal to more teams. I also think he, in the end, will have less say over where he goes. Um, Kevin Durant is older. I think that's going to make certain teams reticent to give up the, the top-tier packages for him. And I do believe that because it's Kevin Durant, because he's older, because he has that injury history, if he says, hey, I only want to play in Miami, Phoenix, or Toronto, or doesn't open up his list to include any other teams, that's going to matter to more, to more interested suitors than it will in, in the case of Donovan Mitchell. Dan, in like the last two or three weeks, we've seen two teams signal that they might be going into extreme tanking, right? Utah, first half of it was the Gobert trade. The second half would be a Donovan Mitchell trade. San Antonio traded a 25-year-old uh, all-star caliber player in Deonta Murray for a bunch of picks. I I'll ask you, do you think, is this should we read between more than just these two teams had capped out where they were? Or should we expect one or two more teams to add the fray of getting back to that tanking mentality in the NBA? Um, I think we could see more teams get there, but you're probably looking at a middle-of-the-season type decision when you're seeing squads that were kind of hoping to exist in the middle or had playing aspirations and you see them um, fall off. I think one candidate to certainly watch for would just be Houston, um, they might already be on that level. I do expect them to lose a lot of games still, but if you go ahead now and trade Eric Gordon and maybe you're trading some of the other bets on your team like a, 
you know, a David Nawaba? Are you even looking at this point moving a Kevin Porter Jr. just because he's extension eligible? That's a team that I could see leaning further into it over the offseason. But when you look at the rest of these squads, um, uh, especially in the Eastern Conference, like there are probably 13 teams, um, maybe, maybe 12. Maybe the Indiana Pacers still have some blowing up left to do with Miles Turner that fancy themselves playoff squads. And so I think that this is something we talk about um, a little bit more as we get into the trade deadline where seasons have sort of gone in the opposite directions that teams were hoping. Dan Favalli of the Bleacher Report and also Hardwood Knox podcast. On the guest line here, breaking down the latest in the NBA, uh, I, I can't believe I haven't asked you a question directly about Kevin Durant. What do you think are the most interesting landing spots for Kevin Durant? Like, mo- what do you think are the most impactful to the competitive landscape of the NBA? Yeah, look, I think if he goes to Phoenix or Miami, it's, I think it creates a new title favorite, and that's a really big deal. Um, but looking beyond those teams, and I root for chaos as sort of this impartial observer, I'd like to see him go somewhere that's not on his list right now. Uh, If you send him to Toronto, that team really becomes a force, especially if they are able to finagle a package that doesn't include Scotty Barnes. Um, Or even if it does, they're probably giving up less draft equity then, so are they able to turn around and just make another pretty big deal since they're all in on the, the current window then with KD. And I also really love the idea of Kevin Durant in New Orleans. We know a package won't include Zion because he just extended. And so if you're putting literally everyone and everything else on the table in talks, regardless of whether it costs you Brandon Ingram, um, that resulting team would be terrifying. And the final one I would, I would just keep an eye on, and there would need to be additional moves made because their two primary trade chips could not um, play on the net as so long as Ben Simmons is there. Uh, but the Denver Nuggets, if there are teams, maybe not even the net, you're getting third and fourth teams involved who uh, really like Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, aren't worried about his health. The Nuggets also have Bones Highland. Uh, they can trade a pick in 2029, so that does hamper them. But if they're willing to go that route of putting both players on the table, uh, Denver just would be fascinating with having Jokic and Kevin Durant there in addition to, to maybe Aaron Gordon as well. Dan, uh, let's look to Kyrie. Do you think that if the Lakers do not pull the, the trigger on a trade for Kyrie, do you think that that means he'll play in Brooklyn next year? Is it L.A. or bust? It does sort of feel... LA or bust, or at the very least that he's going to be moved from Brooklyn or they're just not going to have him report to the team next season. I don't know why they would want him around the next day. If Kevin Durant is gone, assuming he's not there, I don't know why you want him around whatever product you're, you're left with. And it is pretty clear that there's not this huge league wide interest in Kyrie Irving. And I do think while everyone can say it's a no brainer for the Lakers. And to some extent it is when you're talking about offering Russ, but 2027 and 2029 draft picks, and you can't guarantee that Kyrie Irving is going to stay beyond next season because he's a free agent, he can say whatever he wants. He has now submarined the windows of three teams. When you look at Cleveland, Boston, with whom he said he was going to resign while he was there, and then Brooklyn now, who he expected to resign with, um, you do have to think twice about putting any sort of long-term value in your package. And so I don't know where he ends up. My guess would just be the Lakers, given where all this is headed. But if it's not the Lakers, um, the thing I could say with somewhat certainty is I would be flabbergasted if we see him play for the next next season. Dan, Kyrie, LeBron, and AD, is that would would you assume that they are the title favorites if Kyrie were to go to LA? No, I wouldn't. Uh, look, the rest of the roster around them might be interesting. I'd like some of the Lakers signings. Um, do they have enough defense and shooting around their stars, which has been the model to build around LeBron and AD? 
since the dawn of time, the Lakers have completely pivoted away from it. Uh, it's questionable at best there. So I think they would be in the mix. But you're also dealing with um, LeBron, who's this is going to be his age, what, 37, 38 season. Um, is there a chance that he misses more time? And then both Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving, for a litany of reasons, um, they always seem to miss. You could pencil them in for 15 to 20-plus games absent a season. That's going to matter in a West where even if you don't think the top end of it is better than the East, it's certainly just going to be deeper than it was last year because you're looking at healthier teams in the Clippers, um, in the Nuggets, even the Blazers, the Timberwolves got better. So I think they would be up there. But depending on what happens with Kevin Durant and just looking at the other teams, I would still like you know a lot of squads in the East, like Milwaukee, Boston more than them. I'd still probably like Golden State more than them out West. So they'd certainly have a better title shot in my mind. I would stop well short of calling them favorites, though. So. All right, let's move to uh, the Hornets here. It's been an interesting offseason over this way. How would you assess the Hornets offseason, starting with the firing of James Borrego? Um, I was never a fan of it because I didn't think he was the issue. And then to have Kenny Atkinson sort of walk out of that situation and then pivot back into Steve Clifford, who I didn't think he was the issue when he got fired the first time. Um, that was weird. I think it matters that he'll care about defense probably more than anyone else. Uh, in that organization at this point. And so there's that to look at. Um, I, I do think that they did okay around the draft before panning them initially for that trade with the Knicks when they didn't get Jalen Duran and they pivoted to Mark Williams instead. I think they did fine there. Keeping Cody Martin was a big deal. Um, their roster is just, we have to see what happens with, with Miles Bridges, of course, too. And that entire situation is just, um, it's just sad um, for his kid is, you know, and then, and the mother of his child is sad. I don't know what happens with the roster with regards to him. It has not been a banner offseason for the Hornets. I will say, once this Kevin Durant domino falls, I might expect them to try and be involved um, in a Miles Turner acquisition if he's not moved as part of that deal, where a lot of three-team scenarios being floated around include Aiton going to Indiana, Turner going somewhere else, um, and so on and so forth. What is the uh, price, or what do you think the price tag might be for Miles Turner? Um, I think you're probably looking at the equivalent of a first-round pick and then just a prospect. And I don't know at this point, you know, if we're talking, is it a first-round pick in P.J. Washington? Um, how how much does the organization value James Booknight right now? How much do they value Kai Jones, um, given that they just drafted uh, Williams and would be getting Miles Turner? I think something along the lines of that package would be salary filler. One of those younger players, and I, I wouldn't, I'd want to keep Booknight if I were the Hornets. I want to make that clear. But if it was a pick Washington or a pick Kai Jones and Filler, I think that's probably the highest I'd be willing to go on. A center who is really good, but you also have to worry about paying him because his contract is up after this year. Follow this man on the Twitters, at Dan Favale. Check out his work on uh, the Bleach Report and subscribe to the Hardwood Knox podcast. Dan, you're fantastic as always. Enjoy the rest of the insanity, my guy. You as well. Thank you so much for having me. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Dan Favalli there on the guest line. Uh, the Miles Turner stuff's interesting. If you could get Miles Turner for just PJ in that first round pick you picked up from uh, the Denver pick, I I think that's the best of both worlds. And then having Mark Williams come off the bench, I was actually reading uh, a little bit about what Kai Jones has said in the summer league that he's played more of that stretch four role. If if Kai becomes your new stretch four and you kind of have a big front going with Kai and Mark Williams or Kai and Miles Turner, if that fits offensively and defensively, 
I think that could be pretty special for the Hornets in 2022. All right, guys, we'll get back to the NBA thoughts in the 1 o'clock hour. When we come back, it's time for the five burning questions on Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ. Radio 92.7 FNZ, uh, interesting stuff coming from the world of college athletics. As Dennis Dodd tweeting out just now, Pac-12 board authorized the conference to immediately begin negotiations for its next media rights agreements. Uh, Pac-12 was uh, uh, ahead of the Big 12, but it's now moving up the timetable. I'm pretty sure that this is just an effort of the Pac-12 to be the remaining, like the third super conference left. I think once you lost USC and UCLA, I don't think time is on your side, especially with four of your teams negotiating with the Big 12 to try. That's basically what this is. This is the the Pac-12 trying to throw a number at other members of the Pac-12 so they don't leave for the Big 12 or even the Big 10. Good luck with that. I don't really know what you're selling anybody, any TV execs on right now, but that's the latest from the world of conference realignment. We are waiting uh, on any Kevin Durant news to land, any Kyrie Irving, any Hornets news with the Miles Bridges situation. But as we wait, it is time for my five burning questions and uh, itty bitty fitty here with us. And we're going to start with this. So uh, Diana Rossini had a tweet this weekend where her brother was saying that it was doing his yearly spiel about July 4th being the end of summer, which is insanely cynical to me. So, itty bitty fitty, what day or date do you consider the end of summer? It's Labor Day. That's the official end of summer. Kids are back in school. Football is up and running, which means fall is right around the corner. It's the last holiday before it turns cold with Thanksgiving and Christmas. See, I think that opens up an interesting question. Question Is the beginning of the NFL, is that the end of summer or is it kids going back to school? Because I, I still, I have been out of school 15 years. I've, I, that was when I was done with college at 21 years old. And I still kind of think of kids going back to school as being the end of summer. I don't know what psychologically has been programmed into me because of Big Brother and Big Education. So for me, a single man with no kids, the start of the NFL season is the, for me, is the official end of summer. It's probably different for you dads out there. J.D. Gore III setting into at Nick Wilson says in at HTB underscore Josh, September 30th. That's super late. See, I do think I think it's different in the South because is that, is that, the weather doesn't change as quickly as it does in the North. Did this guy send in the actual date of the end of summer? No, no, no. The actual end of summer is, I think, September 23rd. I think it's my birthday is the first day of fall. That's the day before my birthday. My my birthday's better. Uh, <laughs> suddenly, Susan sending it at Nick Wilson says, saying Labor Day. Yeah, that's it's probably somewhere in between the kids going back to school and Labor Day for me that I am like, eh, all right. But I, I will say, my perspective of summer ending has changed since moving to Charlotte. It, I'm, I'm much more into September warm weather now that I'm here, and you get addicted to it. You do. You get addicted to the weather in the Queen City and in the South here. Uh, so, 
You can find these at Nick Wilson Says, at WFNZ. By the way, at Nick Wilson Says on uh, Instagram as well. Make sure to follow me on the gram, at Nick Wilson Says. Number two, this is just, I just wanted to talk about people we love right now. So the question is, who is your favorite athlete to watch right now? Because for me, it's Shohei Otani. I don't care the game time. I don't care what I'm doing. If I know Shohei is on TV, I will stop what I'm doing and I will tune into an at-bat or an inning of him pitching because you just never know. He could go through a perfect inning. He could hit uh, a rocket. He could make a great play. Like At any point he's playing, I want to watch him. So I've got a list. Um, if, I asked for a favorite athlete, not favorite list of athletes. Okay. Um, I'll take Max Scherzer because he returns to the bump tonight, and I don't have Jacob DeGrom to, to watch. When Jacob DeGrom is healthy, I've never seen a better pitcher in my lifetime, and he's appointment television. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't, or rather, I don't think that's colored just by your, your Mets fandom there. I think that's a great take. DeGrom is absolutely one of the people that when he is on and he's dealing and he's healthy, uh, I'll, again, I'll put down the, the remote and let's just watch some DeGrom. And I felt the same way about Clayton Kershaw when Bumgarner was at the top of his game, now about Otani. So I feel like pitchers have a different pool. Like when a pitcher's dominant and you like baseball, you'll give it up to go watch that guy pitch. I, I, I don't know. Aaron Judge, man. I, I hate the friggin' Yankees. And Aaron Judge right now, it, with clubbing the baseball the way he has, he's been insanely watchable. I, I To me, it's about great baseball players being great in that moment. That's when you know. Guy's got a hitting streak going. I got to tune in a little bit more. Uh, ironically, Dave Damashek had talked about O'Neill Cruz on Friday's show. O'Neill Cruz spanked a baseball this weekend. Yeah, he He's the only reason I'm watching the Pittsburgh Pirates right now. Uh, so you said it started with Max Scherzer. All right, three. This was another ES. I think it was L. Duncan said that her flight was held up because they were trying to get an emotional support turkey on the plane. Which is objectively hilarious. I'm all for emotional support animals. Have you ever met a turkey? They're the least chill, supportive animal there is. Actually, outside of maybe snakes who are just going to keep trying to eat you. Like... <laughs> give it to us again? That was... That was <laughs> oh, thank you. You just listen to me. I just have got so much going on in my life. My mom hates me. My dad hates me. Oh, I know. I know I shouldn't hate him back, but it's just tough. They never support me the way I want to. I know. They're just humans trying to do the best they can. Thank you, Turkey. It sounds like a guy getting kicked in the skippies in an action film. Uh, so, itty bitty fitty, with that being said, if you needed an emotional support animal, what emotional support animal would you choose? Do I have to say chicken because I did say I would come back reincarnated as a chicken? Nope. You do not have to say anything. This is America. It's the greatest country in the world sometimes and you can say whatever the hell you want. Well, if that woman can have a turkey, I want the lemu emu. Oh, God. You you get your eyeballs pecked to death. He doesn't... Emus, emus are awful. What, what's next? A kangaroo? <laughs> It'll kick the crap out of you, too. You could, you could get from one place to another. So, one. And a, and, a, and a hop. The easy one is dogs. I have noticed a huge difference since my, my pup Artemis passed away about five weeks ago. I've noticed a huge difference in my emotional stability since my dog passed. 
Um, and even like we took Valerie from uh, the CMPD. If you guys haven't seen her, Annick Wilson says we, we, uh, we've got her profile up there, pictures of her. Please, if you're looking for a dog, go adopt this dog. She is the absolute best. We loved her. The, uh, we'll get into reasons later this week why I couldn't uh, adopt her ourselves. She's fantastic. But I even noticed myself, this is a dog I just met. And like an hour in, I'm just like cuddling with this dog. Just like, so a dog's the easy answer. Yeah. Here's another one, monkey. You know why? Because an emotional support monkey, you could get in some real stuff, right? If it's if he's like a orangutan or a chimp, watch Dust Dunstan checks in. Think of the stuff. You, uh, if you're talking about a capuchin monkey, I mean capuchin monkeys, they're gonna steal That's people's what Ross money. That's had in friends. Yeah, and and they're a little temperamental, but so am I. Like I can't judge them for being temperamental. Just make sure the dude has banana and just chill out. Shouldn't the easy answer to be uh, the parrot? Because you could actually teach the parrot to talk back to you. No. Why would I want another thing to talk? Because like if you're venting and like you know like let's say you had like you had a bad day. Yeah. No. And, this is gonna turn badly on you, especially if you're married. And you go and you talk to Pete the parrot. I mean, he's gonna huh? be. Right. Your wife should be. <laughs> no, that sounds awful. That sounds that sounds like Nick gets divorced for talking crap about his wife <laughs> to the parrot, and then the parrot doesn't shut up. And then I end up without a wife and without a parrot because I'm going to kill him for costing me half my crap. <laughs> All right, so the first three questions. What day or date do you consider the end of summer? Favorite athlete to watch right now? And what would your emotional support animal be? Number two. Given the Joey Chestnut choking out somebody dressed up like Darth Vader, which is a lot to try and get out there, <laughs> could you take Joey Chestnut in a fight? No. I'm going to tell you right now, I could beat that dude's ass. All right, there was a, there was a Dundada moment when Joey Chestnut and I were at a Hooters three years ago in Uptown Charlotte where I sized that dude up. Me and him looked each other in the eyes, and I knew and he knew. If it came to eating, that guy could smoke me. If it came to fisticuffs, he didn't have a chance in hell. He saw these shoulders and didn't want any of this, bruh. He would be one of the guys, like in high school, a guy that I would talk bleep about, but I was friends with that way I knew he would never come beat me up. Why do you? Well, okay, he does have a size advantage over you. Well, most he's, people do. He's like an average size dude, but to you, that's like Andre the Giant. Uh, that sounded really mean. I didn't mean it this as mean like as it David came off. This isn't like David and Goliath over here, okay? No, like, that's exactly what it is. No, that'd be me if I was going against like Bobon or something like that. <laughs> or just me. If you or, look or, at the videos of you and me in Hawaiian shirt Friday. I mean, that last picture <laughs> we took, I was taller than you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So why don't you think you could take Joey Chestnut in a fight? I just don't understand. Like, what about him? I screams? get winded walking down the hall. <laughs> that's very fair. Like... <laughs> And this morning before we came on there, I was downing a donut and Ritz bits and a Mountain Dew to give my body enough energy to do the show. And he has 70 hot dogs at a pop. You think he's a, a paragon of personal fitness? <laughs> uh, Rowdy saying, if you hit him in the jaw, you'd break your hand. Not these hands. Not these soup bones. That, that's... That doesn't sound as impressive as I was hoping. Uh, all right. This was actually from last week. Somebody submitted this. I can't remember who sent this in. But if we were to add an eighth day of the week, what w and you were in charge of naming it, what would you name a new day of the week? Fun day? See, I was thinking it's got to be something cool. Like Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday. The names don't sound very fun. I was thinking free day. Everybody gets a free day. 
because if because if we're going to add an eighth day to the calendar, it's because humans have actually taken over and we're no longer run by dictators and big business. <laughs> and if we get an eighth day, literally all businesses are shut down. Bomb day? No. No, that's not great. Not great. Nope. No, we don't want bomb day because because idiots could really take that to the the. As a matter of fact, yesterday was kind of bomb day. If you look at, uh, if you listen to the skies around Ballantyne, North Carolina. All right, guys, here are the five questions. What day do you consider the end of summer? Favorite athlete to watch right now? What would your emotional support animal be? Could you take Joey Chestnut in a fight? And what would you name a new day of the week? Uh, quick answers here. Suddenly, Susan saying, my day, so I can do whatever I want. JD saying, ketchup day. <laughs> also, JD saying, who the hell is Joey Chestnut? Uh, and then Panther Bo saying, uh, Ted from the movie Ted would be his emotional support animal. Continue to send in those answers. In the one o'clock hour, Kevin Durant's future and how it could impact Charlotte on Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ.